Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Mark chapter 14, would you stand for the reading of the word please? Mark chapter 14 and verse 60, we pick up in a story where Jesus is brought before the high priest and they're uh, bearing false witness against him and trying to question him about some things. And in verse 60, the Bible says, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. And again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Now when we read that word, I am, we have to uh, let our mind and our, our thought process take us back to the Old Testament. When Moses was faced with a burning bush and he was questioning the Lord and he says, Who do I tell them sent me? And he said, I am, not, not I used to be, I'm going to be, I plan on being, but I am. And, and what he was paraphrasing and what his intentions were there is to, to let the children of Israel know that at that moment in time, when you're dealing with a million plus people, everybody's got different problems. And we're, we're just a few in this house tonight, but everybody in this house has got some sort of problem, and they're all different problems. We need a different God for each different situation, and that I am clarifies that he will be whatever we need him to be. So Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Father, I love you. Thank you for the word tonight. God, I ask for the next few minutes that our hearts and our minds would be clear. God, that you would allow the word to penetrate and insinuate into our hearts. And God, that what we speak on tonight and the word that goes forth would be applicable to our lives. I thank you for that, Lord, in your name we pray. And the whole house said amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him how good it is to see him on Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. I'm going to speak for just a little bit of how great is Jesus. And I'll put a question mark at the end of that because everybody can answer that differently. And if there was some sort of shape, fashion, or way to measure the greatness of Jesus, I still don't know that if we could do that. How do you measure? How do you capsulate? How do you encompass Somebody that has been so much. When I think about where I was and where he's brought me from, the pit that he pulled me from and set my feet upon a rock, I cannot describe how great Jesus has been in my life. And again, all across this house, I can pass this microphone around tonight and it would be a different testimony for every different individual. But how, how great is Jesus? 
I don't believe that we can measure. Jesus Christ is great for a number of reasons. If we were to try to list them out, he's great first and foremost because of his impact on the world. Now, his impact on the world, again, is different for everyone because he's been a a different God and a different Savior for each unique situation. It's always been remarkable to me how the Lord can take individuals who have been at the bottom and he can elevate them to the top in the kingdom of God and he can make them into something that they never thought they could be He can make them into something that nobody around them thought they could be. It's his uniqueness. It's his greatness. But his his impact is so great upon the world. And when we look back, we see that Jesus was born in an obscure village. He was the child of a peasant woman, and he grew up in another small village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. Jesus never went to college. He never visited a big city, and Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles from the place that he was born. He did none of the things that you would usually associate with greatness. Jesus had no masters. He had no BA. He had no credentials. All Jesus had to present was himself. He left this world at an early age, at 33 and a half, and his friends deserted him. One, arguably, the the closest to him denied him. He was turned over to enemies and went through a mockery of a trial that we read here this evening. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while dying, while Jesus hung on the cross in anguish, gasping for air, his executioners gambled. I want you to think about this for a minute. The people that hung him on that cross gambled for his clothes, the only property that he owned on this earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave only through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and Jesus Christ is still the central figure of the human race. And he is the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that's ever marched, all the navies that's ever sailed, all the parliaments that's ever sat, and all the kings that's ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as Jesus Christ has. H.G. Wells, who was an unbeliever, agrees. He says, and I quote, I am an historian. I am not a Christian believer but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. It's been said that Socrates taught for 40 years, Aristotle for 40, Plato for 50, and Jesus for three. Yet the influence of Jesus Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact that any of these aforementioned 130 years men of teaching did. Jesus never wrote a book, yet more books have been written about him than any other billions who've lived on this planet. He never painted a picture or composed poetry or music, but nobody, hear me tonight, nobody's life and teaching has been the subject of so many songs, so many plays, so many pictures, or so many films. I'm talking about the greatness of Jesus tonight. Jesus is truly 
beyond compare. Before Jesus, the child came, he, he came into the, before he came into this world, prophets spoke of him. Isaiah, for instance, said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Jesus. And when the angel announces Jesus' imminent arrival in Luke 1 and 32, he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In Luke 2, when Jesus was taken to the temple to be dedicated as a child to the Lord, Simeon, the man of God, took Jesus, the baby, in his arms, and he praised God, and he said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, a light to enlighten the Gentiles. Even his predecessor in ministry declared his greatness. John testified and cried out in chapter 1, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me as a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Jesus said himself in John 14 and 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Jesus declared in John 10 and 30 that I and my Father are one. Buddha never claimed to be God. Moses never claimed to be Jehovah. Muhammad never claimed to be Allah. Yet Jesus Christ claimed to be and was the true living God. Buddha simply said, I am a teacher in search for the truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claimed to be holy. And Jesus says, who convicts me of sin? Muhammad said, unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. And Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you're going to die in your sin. Augustine said, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are very wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Fundamentally, our Lord's message was himself. You see, Jesus didn't come to preach the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus didn't come to give bread. He said, I am the bread. Jesus didn't come merely to give light. He said, I am the light. Jesus didn't come to show us a door. He said, I am the door. He didn't come to name a shepherd. Jesus said, I am the shepherd. And he didn't come to point a way, but Jesus said, I am the way. C.S. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher at all. He would either be a lunatic or he would either be the devil of hell. He, Lewis said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or either he's a madman. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit in his face or you can kill him, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher because Jesus did not leave that, left that open to us. He did not intend that for us. Because of Jesus' involvement in creation, Hebrews 1 tells us he is the heir of all things. 
Jesus is the unique son of the living God. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. We know this. The world belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the, he's the rightful heir. He's the creator of all things. I know we just read John 1 and 1 uh, Sunday, but uh, to refresh us tonight, John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So in the beginning we have the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God, and we know that in the beginning God was this Spirit. So we have the Spirit, and we have the Word, and we have the power. And verse 3 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. We're all familiar with verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. So if in the beginning was the Word, and the Word and the Spirit is in the beginning, and that Word became flesh, then Jesus Christ himself, if I understand the Word of God correctly, was in the beginning. That same power and authority that said, let there be, was Jesus Christ. That same power and authority that separated the day from the night, was Jesus Christ. The greatness of Jesus Christ cannot be fully appreciated without understanding that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. He was there at the beginning. He was there at the burning bush speaking back to Moses. He was there to part the Red Sea. He was there when the walls of Jericho fell. He is the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, and he is the source of all life. Make no mistake about it tonight. You are sitting here. You and I live, breathe, and are here tonight because of Jesus Christ. There is no other, other thing that we can attach ourselves to. Colossians 1 and 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven. So by him all things were created and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now that's pretty cut and dried and black and white, all things. The White House belongs to the Lord. Tallahassee belongs to the Lord. The community of Hatch Bend belongs to the Lord. The country of the United States belongs to the All things, all things were created for him, by him. Seen in his miracles from a storm to peace, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, healing the blind, casting out demons. Everything that he does, everything that he sees to, he upholds all things. That is, he holds the universe together by the word or by the power of his word. It is, it is in Jesus Christ that we live and move and have our being. Make, make no mistake about it today, ladies and gentlemen. Every day that you get up and breathe in H2O is, is a gift from the Lord. He purged our sins by himself, by his blood, and by his sacrifice. He made possible our salvation and our forgiveness and our eternal life. And the Word of God tells us that he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Sat down speaks of completeness, of a, of a finished work. See, the cross will never have to be repeated again. His work, his, his work was once and for all. He will never, nobody will ever have to be, suffer like that again because of the price that Jesus paid. 
following his resurrection and ascension, he sat down at the right hand. The greatness, the greatness of Jesus, the ultimate measure of greatness. The ultimate measure of greatness, if it could be measured, of Jesus Christ is his great love for us. He, he loves us unconditionally. The enemy will try to tell us a lie or convince us that we are not worthy of his love. And in and of ourselves we are not. But through his grace and through his mercy, he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ is the personification of God's love. He became our Savior by dying for us. We're all familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I'm thankful tonight for a Savior who doesn't condemn. Convict, maybe so, but there's no condemnation in the love of God tonight. Paul wrote a letter to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness, fullness of God. John said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we, that you and I, should be called the sons of God. I'm talking tonight about the greatness of Jesus, and he is beyond compare. Napoleon said this, he said, I know men, I know men well, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Carl Magna, and myself have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? On how did we create our empires? How did we conquer? How did we overcome? Napoleon said, we done it by force. But he said, Jesus Christ founded his empire on love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Paul said, wherefore God also hath highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and things in and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I know sometimes we look across our world today and we see that some things can look pretty bleak, but make no mistake about it, we serve a God who cannot lie. And this word does not lie. And there is coming a day where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Colossians 2 and 9 states, For in him, for in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is no higher, no more honorable name in all the universe than that of Jesus. Through the way that he deals with you and I today, if when we falter or fail, through his love and compassion, he forgives us. When we fall, he lifts us up. When we're lost, he finds us. When we're sick, he heals us. When we have loved ones in need, he hears our prayers. He can reach anyone, and he can change anyone. Don't ever underestimate the changing power of Jesus Christ. He's in the life-changing business, and he can change lives no matter what. When we are faced with impossibilities, 
Jesus will step on the waters and he meets our needs. Whatever else we need, he will be that to us. He is our great I am. And when God promises to be with us, he doesn't promise to be there just an observer, to watch us struggle, to watch us scratch and try to climb the hill. He, he's there as a helper. In fact, he's there by promising his presence. He promises his strength and encouragement and power. He said in Joshua, he said, No one will be able to stand against you. As I was with Moses, I shall be with you, and I will never leave you. There was a, I read a short story about a Chinese Christian brother whose name was Lo, L-O. Lo had been going through some really bad times, and he was on the brink of giving up and throwing in the towel, and he just didn't feel like he could serve the Lord anymore. And he had heard a, a preacher read a scripture and a message, and so he went home to, to study over that, that particular scripture for himself. And it was in Matthew 28 and 20. And the scripture concludes and says, And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Now, lo, this little Chinese man found this very encouraging because he took it to be a personal word to him. Amen. And, and not to be cavalier or funny tonight, but so must we. I have to put my name there. And Jerry, I am with you even until the end. And Donnie, I am with you even until the end. And Larry, I am with you even until the end. He's promised us. He's given us a promise. And then through every dark journey that we have to make, every mountain we have to climb, or every valley that we have to go to, if we can hold on and cling to the promise that he said he would never leave us nor forsake us, we know that he's there to help us. God is with us to help us, not to simply make us feel good, but having the knowledge and faith to trust in him and trust that he will sustain us. Fear, fear is what kept the Israelites out of the promise. And fear will stop us from doing and moving in the direction that God has intended for our life. Being convinced of the power and the greatness of God will remove fear. You, you, you have faith in God, and if you lack faith, he said you have not because you ask not. We pray for it and pray for God to, to instill in us a fearless attitude. His presence gives us hope and greatness. God being with us does not mean that we won't have to face some trials and some tests, but he's promised us we will not have to face them alone. And this promise gives us hope because he's a God that cannot lie. And because he is with us, we can have hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. I'm going to ask our musicians to come tonight. In Isaiah 41 and 10, the Lord said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We're all familiar with Psalms 23, and David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. If you find yourself under attack, remember, he's with us. He is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. If you find yourself being tempted, Remember, there's help with temptation. 
He's made a way of escape. He's promised that. If you find yourself on the brink of sin, remember, he's there to help us overcome sin. If we find ourselves in need of anything, remember, he's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. As we stand across this house tonight, if you've heard nothing I've said tonight, I'd ask you to hear this. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, can I leave this with you? Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. You've come too far. We have a God that said he would never leave. In every meeting, in every storm, every day, he said he would be there with us. Peter said, you are the Christ. Magi worshipped him. They knew he was God. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And the centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. Moses got a revelation of the privilege and power of the presence of God. Moses understood just what the presence, having the presence of God, having God with him, what it meant. That's why Moses said, I will not go forward unless your spirit goes with me. He wanted God's presence more than the promise because the presence will always be worth more than the promise. As long as we have the presence of God with us. Because you see, in the presence, in the presence, there's fullness of joy. You might find yourself getting to the promise that you thought you needed, and there is no joy. There is no satisfaction there. But there will always be, always be present when the presence of the Lord there will always be joy and I'm thankful tonight for the joy of the Lord and in in sad seasons and in good seasons the joy of the Lord is my strength can we lift our hands across this house tonight and just thank him for his goodness and for his greatness thank you Lord for everything that you've meant to me Jesus thank you for your word thank you for your power and your authority in my life how great how great is This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.